Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And also want to remind you that if you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, go ahead and do so so that you can stay up to date on things that we put out, as well as other information on events and ways to get connected to our church. And then also, um, I always ask, because I want to invite you to consider giving to Life Church and the work that we get to be a part of. Uh, we feel that we're making an impact in our community um, and look forward to continuing to do that throughout the future. So if you would like to partner with us in that way, I want to invite you to go check out lifechurchcanton.org give, and you can learn how your giving makes an impact as well as learn about ways to give. We're in a series called Galatians. We've been in a series all summer long on the letter to the Galatians. And uh, you're going to hear a sermon from me, and I'm just looking at a couple verses from chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, where we're continuing to talk about freedom. If you didn't get a chance, you can go back and listen to Pastor John's message about freedom, freedom fighters, he calls it. And we're going to continue in that vein talking about freedom today, uh, talking more so about how we define it, where it comes from, what it's for, and, uh, and how we live out in our freedom. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to Life Church, everybody. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to see all of you in the room. Excited for those of you joining us online. If you are joining us maybe for the first or second time, just checking things out, uh, we want to encourage you to fill out a Connect card. For those of you in the room, you could do that uh, before you leave here today, a physical card. Those of you watching online, we have links provided in the comment section. You can click on those at any time throughout the service and, uh, and get connected with us so that we can help you take your next steps. We're in a series called... Corinthians, actually. No, we're still in Galatians. We're still in Galatians. I just want to make sure that you weren't caught off guard. Uh, we have been in Galatians all summer long. We're going to continue uh, for a few more weeks, and it's been a good series. I hope you have gained a lot, learned a lot throughout this series as well. Uh, last week, if you didn't get a chance to go back and listen to the message, John, our discipleship pastor, gave a wonderful message, and he introduced this concept of freedom fighters and began to talk about freedom. I'm going to continue with that idea of freedom and, and what we mean by freedom and what freedom is for. And so what I want to do is just ask you a couple questions. When you think about freedom, when you imagine freedom, like what comes to mind? What pictures do you think about? What pictures do you see? How do you define freedom? And, and especially for those of us who are from this country, who grew up in this country, we talk about freedom all the time, right? We have a whole holiday dedicated to talking about freedom. It's a free country, we say. We've got are, uh, you know, the First Amendment rights that are all about freedom of speech and expression and freedom of religion. Uh, we talk about freedom all the time. And so it, it certainly forms a lot of our understanding about freedom. But maybe another question to ask you is, what is our freedom actually for? What's our freedom for? If we were to listen to the wise old sage and prophet Pitbull, uh, he would say, I'm free to do what I want and have a good time, right? I'm free to do what I want and have a good time. It is about me and it's about what I can consume for myself and so that I can have a good time. I can live the American dream. Is that what our freedom is for, is for ourselves? Especially when we think about our faith. I'll ask you another question. Is it freeing to be a Christian, because if you were to project this idea of I'm free to have a good time and to do what I want and have a good time and to project that onto our Christianity, uh, does that work? Does that compute? 
in a lot of ways, depending on your context and how you grew up and your understanding of church and your understanding of God and Christianity, in a lot of ways, you might from a distance be like, yeah, I don't know that it's all that freeing to be a Christian. Uh, Because oftentimes when I think about Christianity, what I think about is all of the things that you're not supposed to do, the things that you're not freed to do. I'm not supposed to drink or smoke or watch rated R movies or hold hands with my girlfriend. Or, you know, like, it's all of these restrictions about the things that we're not supposed to do. Is it freeing to be a Christian? I heard growing up, uh, some of my friends who went to, I guess, uh, Baptist churches and Assemblies of God churches had this phrase that they would say, I, uh, we don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with girls that do. So that applies only to the guys, I guess, apparently for that one. Do you feel that way in your faith, that it's, uh, you, you call yourself a Christian? I'm a Christian because here are the things that I don't do. Is, is that what it is? Is that how we define it? Is that what our freedom in Christ is for? I think it's important for those of you who are newer to this church, uh, we're actually part of a greater denomination called the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And they have six affirmations that make them unique as a denomination. And one of those uh, affirmations is the reality of the freedom in Christ. So so freedom is a very big deal to, to this church and to other churches like us. Talk about the freedom in Christ. What do we mean when we talk about freedom? We're going to go to just a couple verses, just a handful, in chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, and really just break it down uh, to Paul's understanding of freedom in Christ for the Galatian people and see how we can find a connection to our context as well. So if you want to join me uh, in the scriptures as well, you can in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. It says this, starting in verse 13, "'For you were called to freedom, brethren,' An updated version would say, brothers and sisters. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Okay, let me break this down. So you were called to freedom. Freedom from what? Well, we've spent a good chunk of our time in this series talking about what we're free from, what the Galatians are free from. We've talked about this idea that they uh, had been exposed to the Jewish law, the Torah, the 613 laws, and these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people, were going back to the laws, and, and Paul's coming in and saying, no, 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 that doesn't apply to you. In fact, none of this applies. All that applies is Christ, grace in Christ, grace through Christ. You have freedom in Christ from the law. Don't go back to those things. So we know what we're free from. Paul has already established that. But here's the line that I think is really interesting. You were called to freedom. You were called to freedom. There's a sense of something different going on, talking about freedom as a calling, right? Like, it's it's not just, um, you know, I'm free to do what I want and have a good time uh, versus uh, now I only have freedom in Christ, and so none of this applies, and so I can make all kinds of mistakes. No, there's a sense of intentionality and purpose to this. You are called to freedom. When you think about calling, there's a sense of function and intention there. I think about it like this. Uh, when I went to Iowa State University as a freshman in college, I'd grown up in a small, tiny little farming community in northwest Iowa, and, and now I'm exposed to this newfound freedom. There's like 30,000 other people that are going to the school. I, I, I have this whole new sort of culture shock, if you will, and I am completely and utterly by myself. I'm the only one responsible for my decisions. And I actually went up uh, or went down a couple days early before classes actually started so that I could just kind of go, 
around and explore. And as I'm walking around the campus area and the town, I have this realization like, there's nobody watching me. There, like, I, I could do anything. I could do whatever I wanted to right now and nobody would hold me accountable. Like, I am literally free to do what I want and have a good time. And yet, in a couple days, my classes were going to start. And so I had to go to those classes. So I, I did have this newfound sense of freedom, yet there was a calling, right? Like I was going to an educational institution to go and extend my learning, right? And learn more about the world and what I wanted to do as I grew up. Now, here's the thing. For me personally, uh, my freedom, I took Pitbull's advice. I'm free to do what I want and have a good time. I had too good of a time and eventually made some more destructive decisions and dropped out after two years of college. Now, I did go back later and I got re-educated and all that, so just so you're clear on that. But I mishandled my freedom. I mishandled the calling to my freedom, if you will. Paul says you're called to freedom. In fact, it's, it's not just something that you fell into. Actually, this has been the goal all along. This has been the attention from the very beginning. You were always called to freedom. You were meant to live in freedom. If you go back all the way to the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the very first chapters, there's this creation narrative. And what God is doing is assigning function and intentionality and purpose to his creation. We call them Adam and Eve. He's giving them freedom to enjoy the creation, right? They're called to it. There's a sense of calling in their role as humanity who partner with God in his creation. They have dominion. They get to name the animals, right? There's a purpose for who they are, and yet there's this extensive, substantial freedom. This was always the goal. And, of course, they, too, mishandled it. And so now we're back thousands of years later to the Galatians. Paul says, you are always meant to live this way. This is a calling for you to live into your freedom. But here's the turn in the verse. You were called to freedom, brethren, or brothers and sisters. It's important, and there's a reason why I wanted to use this specific translation, is because it does include these words, brethren, brothers and sisters. Why? Because your freedom is not just about you. It's not an individualistic freedom. Freedom actually can only be understood in the context of the collective, of the community. You are called to freedom, brethren, brothers and sisters, y'all, family, community, whatever word you want to put in there. Freedom has to be understood within the context of the entire family, which means it cannot be understood as freedom only for yourself. That's a different kind of freedom, right? That's a different kind of calling. This is for y'all. And so Pitbull's definition that I'm free to do what I want and have a good time, that begins to break down a little bit. Now we have to think about the entire family, the entire community. And then he goes to a different part of the verse, and he says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. What's he talking about there? What does that mean? Is this literal flesh and blood? Yes. It actually is. Also why I wanted to use this translation, other ones will say sinful nature, but this is a Greek word, sarki or sarks, which literally translates to your physical flesh and blood, your body, your physical body. Some will translate it, like I said, to sinful nature, which 
feels a little bit more generic. It feels a little bit more holistic to our, our, all of us uh, as, as, as sinful beings. And, and that's partially true, but he is really honing in specifically on the physical body. Why? Why would that matter? Why is he talking about using your freedom as an opportunity for the physical body, for the flesh? Well, here's the thing. We've talked about this just a little bit before, is that this is a Greek-influenced culture, a society who is very obsessed with the physical body. The body is very important to them in terms of what the body can be used for, in terms of what, you can, be, uh, what can be done to the body, not just sexually, although that's a part of it, but all of the different things around the body, body enhancement, body glorification, how you perfect your body. Now, of course, this is just an ancient idea. We don't deal with this at all in our culture, being... <laughs> Obsessed with the body. Yeah, we do. We do. Absolutely we do. I mean, have you ever thought about the pressure that you feel to look and be a certain way for your body? How much pressure is put on your physical body and all the different things that go into making your body the way it is? You got to lose a few pounds. You got to gain some muscle. You got to look more sexy. Jared, you're too skinny. You need to eat more food. Do you even know where the gym is at? Like people just feel comfortable telling me that. Not, not thinking for one second that, hey, maybe actually he has some insecurities about that. But this is what we do. This is our culture. Like, your body is attributed to who you are. It's attributed to your success and how you fit into the culture. And if your body doesn't look just the right way, well, sorry, you don't fit. Yeah, we're absolutely obsessed with this in our culture. This isn't just an ancient concept. In fact, the health and dieting industry alone is a $71 billion industry. And that doesn't account for all of the cosmetic, the, the plastic surgery, the Botox, the hair treatments, the hair removal. Just health and dieting is $71 billion. Money tells a story. Money talks. It tells a story about what we value. We value our bodies a lot. So why would Paul say, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, for the physical body. What is he talking about here? Does this mean that we are supposed to sort of, like, hate our bodies? D deny what our bodies are all about? Are we supposed to repress certain things or restrict certain things? Any, any kind of bodily desires or even sexual desires? Like, is all of that supposed to just that's, that's wrong and that's evil and we should just shove that aside. Is that what he's talking about? See, for some of us, we grew up with, with that message. That Yeah, that absolutely is what Paul is talking about. I grew up with this message. It was a whole industry that got created into something called purity culture. Maybe some of you know about this, and this has been going on for decades, and maybe even some, uh, some of the remin remnants are still around or maybe still exist in some respects. That the body was seen as impure, and any kind of bodily desire, sexual desire that you might have had was not to be talked about. It was way too taboo, and it was non-Christian, and so there was this whole culture that was developed out of it, all because a particular verse and verses like it were completely taken out of context and completely mishandled. And what happened inevitably is people left the church, and people felt extreme shame because of their bodies, because of their desires, and because of their sexual relationships all because of a mishandling 
of a verse or a couple other verses. And some of you have been deeply hurt by this. And there's a whole lot more that I could say about this, but I would encourage you, as you are on your healing and hope-filled journey, whatever that looks like for you, if you've experienced shame depression, anxiety from purity culture within the church, in the name of Jesus, in some respects. There's a blog that we just published this morning. You can go and check that out to just begin to scratch the surface on what healing and restoration looks like. But again, all of this happens because Paul is talking about the body. Is that, is that what he's, is, are we mishandling verses because that's what this is about? Or is this about something else? See, what Paul is talking about here has nothing to do with that because in the very next part of the verse, he says this, but through love, serve one another. What? Wait, I I thought all of those verses were about what I do with my body and and my desires and my sexuality and all of those kinds of things, but through love, serve one another. So maybe it's not about that. See, here's the thing. The opposite of serving one another is serving the self. So in order to understand what the flesh is all about, maybe looking ahead to then look backwards might actually help us. If the goal is to serve one another through love, then the opposite of that is to serve ourselves. So if Paul is saying you are called to freedom, brethren, brothers and sisters, y'all, then don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, for the self. But through love, serve one another. You see what he's doing here? There's a flow to how he is speaking. Freedom is for the community. Freedom is for the body. Don't use it for yourself. Use it to serve the body. He sandwiches your individual physical self because you have an individual body, right? Like if I talk about your physical body, there is only one you and there is only one me. So to talk about my flesh and blood is about the individualistic side of me, right? It is. It has to be. Can't get around that. But to talk about freedom in Christ has to be understood in the context of community. Brethren, brothers and sisters, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for self, for you. It's not all about you, but through love, serve one another. This is not about just me. It's not about my behavioral modification and what I do or don't do with my body. This is about a community identity formation. How are we understanding freedom as a community? This is through love. Serve one another. This is not about the individualistic physical body of Jared. This is about the collective physical and spiritual body of Christ and how we work together. So if it's not just merely about what I do and what my body is all about and what my feelings are, all of those are symptoms of a greater question than what is this about, let me ask you, do you live to serve yourself or to serve others? Are you living to serve yourself or to serve others? And there's a difference here. Like, I want to be careful not to go ahead too far too quickly. There's a difference between serving ourselves and caring for ourselves. Caring for ourselves is an important piece. We even see Jesus caring for himself. He gets away from the crowd to spend time with the Father in prayer often. So there is a sense of self-care that needs to happen. If you are serving 
over and over to the point where you have now become dehumanized, where you're serving out of exhaustion and pain and frustration and anger and bitterness, that's not good for anybody. That's not actual service. That's manipulation. That's uh, an unhealthy view of obligation. I have to do this. And that's not using freedom for anything that's good. But Paul says, through love, serve one another. If you're serving out of exhaustion and bitterness, it's going to lead to more exhaustion and more bitterness. You've heard the illustration before of an airplane, right? Like if you're on an airplane, the flight attendant will say, if we lose cabin pressure, there will be a mask that falls down. If there is a person that is vulnerable or a child next to you, you take the oxygen first and then give it to them. But if you don't do that, then nobody's good for anybody. If the child or the vulnerable person doesn't know how to get the mask or can't get the mask to themselves, well, now you're both down and you're both out of oxygen. There is a healthy sense of caring for one's self so that out of that care, you could serve one another. Out of the love of Christ and the freedom that you experience as an individual, then turns over to the other. Are you living for yourself, to serve yourself, or are you living to serve others in love? And verse 14 is a perfect segue. He says this, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody else think this is kind of weird? This is kind of funny? Like Paul has spent a whole bunch of time in Galatians saying, hey, it's not about the law, don't follow the law, you are freed from the prison of the law. But just in case you were wondering, the whole motivation behind the law was love. The whole law can be summed up in one word, love. He, he like brings it back in. He, he, it's if, as if he's talking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The whole motivation behind this thing was love. The law ultimately failed in its task. But love remains. Love prevails. Love endures. And love your neighbor as yourself. I've, I've been trying to think about, like, how does this play itself out in real life? How do we understand our freedom in the context of community, but then through love within the community and the freedom of Christ, serve one another? What does using our freedom to serve one another look like? And I've been thinking about some of the other metaphors that Paul has been using is this prison. The, the law is a prison. It keeps us locked in to understanding the fullness of Christ. And as I've thought about that, there's an illustration that came to my mind in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. Now, this movie came out in 1994. I'm going to talk about the movie. If you have not seen this movie, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to talk about it. So there's hopefully no spoiler alerts at this point, Okay. But the whole movie is centered around this guy who goes to prison. His name's Andy. He goes to prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And so he's obviously very stressed and anxious about this, but he's in this prison, and the whole movie centers on him and him trying to escape from prison and trying to find different ways to do so. But also, it, it focuses on the relationships that he makes. He makes some friends. He also makes some enemies. He makes a really good friend in Red, a guy named Red. They get to know one another and get to hear one another's stories. Now, Red is in prison, uh, rightfully. He has uh, committed a crime as a young kid, and now he is serving a life sentence. And so he's going to be there for a crime that he absolutely committed, which he owns up to. 
But as they get to know one another, they hear about their desires, and, and Andy shares about what he wants to do if he were to ever get out of prison. Well, eventually, we get to the end of the movie, and Andy finally escapes from prison. And there's this scene where he comes out of this big tube, and it's pouring rain, and you're just thinking, like, go, you're free, run, like, get out of there. But then there's this iconic scene where he's standing there with his arms wide stretched, and he's staring up at the rain, and he's just letting the rain hit him. And you just get this sense of what freedom feels like and looks like. And maybe when I ask you, how do you define freedom? Maybe that, that's an image that you get in your head. Some of you even worship that way because you just experience freedom in Christ. You're ready to sing about it. But the whole time as I'm watching this scene, I'm just like, get out of there, go. They're going to catch you again. Like, that's what freedom is for. You got to run. You got to get out of there. But he doesn't stands there. And then eventually he does move on. And what he does is he goes and he pursues what his, his story was, his dream was, is to go down to Mexico and to live by the ocean and to restore these old boats. And you would think that the movie would just end there, but it doesn't. Because it goes back to Red. And Red is still serving his life sentence. And he's been trying to get out on good behavior, but it's not working out. And finally, he does. Finally, his paperwork is approved, and he gets out. And so he gets out, and he re-enters normal life. And, uh, and now he's, you know, he's working at a grocery store. He's kind of living in the community. And you would think he's free, right? Because he's free from an institutional prison. But now life has passed him by. He's been in prison for 40 years. And so now he's reintroduced into a new, different kind of societal prison, if you will. It's fast-paced. It's consumeristic. And he can't keep up. But here's the thing, his friend Andy has been thinking of him, has been thinking of him, and tells Andy, hey, there's this gift I have for you. There's this box, this treasure buried out into a field, and all you have to do is you have to go and find it, and if you can dig up this spot, if you can find the right spot, dig it up, you're going to find this box. And he finds this box, and he opens up this letter, and he reads this letter, and then there's an envelope filled with cash, and all he has to do is join his friend Andy down in Mexico. And the movie ends with the final scene of them rejoining together by the ocean on this boat. See, Andy uses his freedom for somebody else, not just for himself. He could have gotten out of there, run, and never looked back, and never thought about anybody else. And yet, in his freedom, he takes an opportunity to make freedom available for somebody else. This is what we do. This is what we are called to. This is what Paul is talking about. You are freed. You are called to freedom. This was always the goal, that you collectively would experience freedom. And if there is anybody in your community who is not experiencing that freedom, then they are, in a sense, in a prison. And it is on you as a community to come alongside that person and to help them experience freedom from their prison as well. And we have all different kinds of prisons, don't we? I think about what John said last week, this prison of the shame and anxiety that we feel like I'm just not good enough. I'm just not behaving enough. I'm not good enough for God. That's a prison from experiencing the grace and the freedom in Christ. This is what we're called to. Brothers and sisters, family, we're called to freedom, but don't use it just for yourself. It's not just about you. Serve one another in love 
If you truly want to live out the whole law, the law is summed up by loving your neighbor as yourself. We're called to freedom, and we're called to free others from their prisons as well. Paul gives one final note in this section. He says, but if you, devour, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. What's he talking about there? This feels like a weird turn. Well, here's the thing. If we are to under, understand freedom in the context of community, that means serving one another in love is going to take some effort. It's going to take some work because it's not just all about me. If it were just about me, I'm never going to fight with myself. Oh, I think I'll do this. Yes, that's a good idea. I, yeah, that sounds great. I always agree with myself every time, 100% of the time. It's great. Works out awesome. But that's not life, right? Like, I, we're all doing life together. We don't all agree on the same things together. And yet here we are in Christ. Context is important, and unity in the body is impossible if you're only consumed with yourself. If you bite and devour one another, if it's all about you and your preferences and me and my preferences and what I want and what you disagree with, and it, like... We're not going to get anywhere. We're going to be consumed by one another. Our unity is something that we have to work for in order to experience true freedom in Christ. And if we only live to serve ourselves, guess what? Eventually that's going to come at a cost. And that cost is usually exalting ourselves by demeaning somebody else. Our selfishness is a prison because what we do is we put walls in front of us to the point where we don't have to see how our decisions to exalt ourselves actually exploit somebody else that we don't have to see that might live in another country, another part of the world. But at least I get to serve my needs. It doesn't work like that. Earlier I asked, how do you define freedom? Well, freedom in Christ can only be defined by Christ. Freedom in Christ means that the source of our freedom comes from Christ. How does he get freedom? How does he pay for our freedom? Through force? Through exploitation? No, through self-sacrifice. He gives of himself. This is how we understand freedom. And this is how we understand ourselves in the context of community. In fact, Jesus talks about this in the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be called a Christian, if you want to come after me, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what, if you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, if you achieve the American dream, if you get all of your preferences the way you want them, if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What, what do you gain? What do you benefit? Jesus is the one that frees us from the prison of our selfishness and our consumption where it's just not all about me. It's about all of us as the body of Christ. 
Here's the thing. If we are a follower of Jesus, if we call ourselves a Christian, if I have said yes to Jesus, but I am still living to only serve myself, then I got to wonder, which Jesus did I say yes to? Which Jesus did you say yes to? If life is still all about me, if it's still all about you individually, how do we even begin to attain this? To give up our life, to give up our own way, as Jesus says. I want to give you some ideas, some practical steps, and it's all under the umbrella of simply becoming aware. Become aware. Become aware of what? Well, let's give you a really practical one. Become aware of your time and your money, your calendar, your budget. Why? If I can look at a person's calendar, if I can look at their budget, it says a lot about who they are and what their motivation for life is. I asked earlier, are you living for yourself or are you living for others? What percentage of your time and of your budget would you say is spent on exalting yourself, on preserving yourself and your individualistic personal needs? What percent would that look like? What percent are you comfortable with? What percent is acceptable in the kingdom of God? And I don't have a specific number. I mean, we as a church, we do call people to tithe. And Nathan talks about this. That's just the training wheels to a greater level of freedom in contentment and generosity, right? But become aware. And then do business with God and with your family and with your community and say, what, am I living generously with my time and with my money? Or am I living only to serve my own needs. Become aware. Become aware of one another's stories. What is that about? Here's the thing. I, I saw this tweet earlier this week, and it said this. It said, it's really interesting to watch the frenzy of a race to space between billionaires while simultaneously watching people set up a GoFundMe so they can get groceries. Money can make us tone deaf in some respects. But I also recognize that this is a diverse community economically. And so some of you are like, yeah, this message hits differently. When you talk about looking at my calendar and my budget, some of you are like, I am trying to keep my head above water. I'm trying to just survive. I'm just trying to get milk and bread and cheese for my family. And so it's important that we as a community understand that we are, in fact, a community and that we become aware of one another's stories and needs because we're all coming from different places. I can't possibly know every single person's story in this room, nor should I. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, sometimes I think the person that's on this stage, we have exalted too high to say they're the only one that can take care of my spiritual and physical needs. That's absolutely not true. There is power in the community, which is why we encourage you to get into groups. Get into smaller communities that are intimate, where you can be vulnerable, where you can talk about what is going on in your life together. Do life together. We're, we're a few weeks out yet in, in terms of setting up new, a new round of life groups, but if you're not in a life group, start thinking about what that's going to look like for you. Getting connected into a smaller community of people so that you can begin to understand what each other's needs are. Become aware of other people's stories, and needs. 
And then lastly, become aware of the messages that you see and hear on a regular basis. I don't mean messages like sermons. I mean like out in the world, wherever it is that you are, on your phone, watching TV, out in a grocery store. What are the messages that you see on a regular basis? Are you aware of what you're being told as you're exposed to the messages of the world? And then ask yourself, what percent of the messages that I hear in a daily basis are, it's all about you, it's all about you. Do better, be better, become better, fitter, happier, more successful. What percent would that be? Would that be like 70%, 80%, 90%, 100% of the day that you go out, that you look at a, a, a social media ad, an ad on a commercial, is all about bettering yourself, modifying yourself. We are constantly consumed with the message that it is all about us? Are we even aware of it? In some cases, I, I don't blame you if you aren't, because this is the culture that you have been raised in. This is the culture that we live and breathe on a regular basis. And so sometimes we do need a greater source of awareness. We need God's Spirit to reveal some things in our hearts and our minds that we don't even know. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. It's called Confession. Part of becoming aware, especially becoming aware of the things that we don't even know, is just confessing before God. And I want you to sing this song as a confession, but I want to share the first lyric of this song. It says, If I have wounded any soul today, if I've caused one foot to go astray, if I have walked in my own willful way, Oh Lord, good Lord, forgive. Sometimes we don't even know. We don't even know what messages that we have bought into, that we have agreed with, that have perpetuated this narrative, the false narrative that life is all about me. And so we come before God. To give me a clean heart. David prayed, prayed in the Psalms. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For some of you, this idea of freedom in Christ is a brand new concept. And maybe you're realizing, maybe you're aware right now even, that you have lived life all for yourself. And maybe a lot of good things have come from that. But perhaps there's still an emptiness. You're still not fulfilled. I want to invite you to experience a different kind of freedom. Freedom in Christ. Would you all stand with me, please? And if that is you that wants to say yes to Jesus, maybe in a brand new way or maybe for the very first time, I want to invite you to pray along with me. You can pray in your own words, in your heart, just as I'm praying out loud. Oh Lord, good Lord, forgive me in the ways that I have lived only for myself to serve my own needs. 
And God, there are others of us in this room and watching online, listening to the podcast, where there's a realization happening. We're becoming more aware that we have made life all about me. And yet true freedom will only be experienced in Christ and in the body, community, through serving one another. God, would you change my heart? Would you make it clean? Would you cause me to serve you and to serve others? Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't encourage you enough uh, to experience freedom by becoming more aware, more aware of what God is doing in your life, more aware of what your freedom is for, uh, more aware of the messages that you hear and receive and see on a regular basis. And one of the ways I, I mentioned that you can get better connected is by finding a life group. And so if you're doing life alone, um, maybe you don't live in this particular area, and so it's hard for you to get connected physically with our church. In some way, shape, or form, is there a community of faith, of other believers, of other people that you trust that will love you and support you and encourage you, that you can get around them, and you can share each other's stories, you can encourage one another, but you can also serve one another. Uh, get connected. And if you are in the Canton area, I encourage you to go to our now page to get connected. That's lifechurchcanton.org slash now. And we have a little section on the bottom there that is all about life groups and how you can get connected. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you back here soon.